Hello and welcome back to That's So Second Millennium, episode 17. Today, we're going to finish up the series of interviews we did at the end of June about the first four speakers at the Society of Catholic Scientists conference. We will probably not continue doing one podcast per speaker for the rest of the conference, but uh, these first four speakers were so interesting, definitely thought it was worth uh, breaking down their talks in detail. This is a short talk today, actually. We kept this one uh, pretty short and sweet into the content of the talk, which uh, I would say is exactly what Aaron Sugar did in his own lecture. It was a great talk, and hope you're interested in hearing us break it down. You know, yeah. if, we, uh, if we have time, let's, let's, let's go on to one more speaker, because it seems connected to me uh, from the notes that, that, that we've shared. Uh, you were there at the... Uh, Society of uh, Catholic uh, Scientists uh, uh, conference, uh, and um, the the speaker uh, that uh, jumped out at me because of what I think was the title of his talk. The speaker was Aaron Sharger, and am I right that the title of his talk was Fifty Years Without Free Will"? Yep. Or was that? Yeah. A, yeah. I thought so that was that was yeah, he was, he was, he's a neuroscientist. He works in France, um, for a national institute for health and medical research. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's actually where he works. Um, oh. so he's, I think he comes at things mostly from, you know, sort of the perspective of medicine rather than the sort of deeper, but again, I'm sure he got the, I'm sure he enjoyed the chance to come out and uh, do something a little bit different with his, uh, with his work. So there is this, there's this paper going all the way back to, I think the first work he said was a German paper in the 60s, which gets you to the 50 years, right? Right. Um, but there is a more famous and uh, very widely cited paper, somebody named Libet, uh, L-I-B-E-T, in 1983, uh, he and his co-workers. So what they were doing was they were trying to look at, so if you tell someone, you set up an experiment, and what's like the easiest? What what would it seem conceptually to be the simplest situation where you would be making a completely arbitrary choice, which is, you know, to have someone sit in a room, you know, wire them up so that you are monitoring electrical activity in their brain, which you know in the '60s you already had some ability to do, and of course it's only gotten better since. So you tell the subject, okay, sometime in the next 30 seconds, you know, say, you know, you can set up the experiment however many different ways. It's all pretty arbitrary. Mm -hmm. Sometime in the next 30 seconds, move your finger. It's your choice. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then just keep doing it at whatever random intervals, whenever you choose to do it. So, so that was, that was an experiment. And I think, the German experiment was already sort of set up that way. And then the the experiment in the 80s uh, refined it to say, report to me when you decide to move your finger. So, oh. so if you can tell me what the lapse in time is between the time you've decided and the time that you actually moved your finger, we'll measure that. So what they see is that both of the experiments saw that about a second before the person moved their finger, there was 
a change in electrical potential in a certain area of the brain, which they started calling the sort of readiness potential. And so that was true in both both experiments, about a second, you know, very, I don't know how much between people, but, you know, that was that was the order of magnitude. The people reported making the decision to move their finger about a quarter of a second before they moved their finger. So, if you're a gleeful materialist, you will just jump on this and say, which people did, that, oh, this means there is no free will. Something is happening inside my brain of this, you know, second beforehand. And then I have the illusion that I'm making a choice. And it's already been, you know, made for me. And, and then I, and then I, you know, and then I actually go through the voluntary motion of moving my finger which, of course, takes a little bit longer and, you know, further neural circuits need to be closed. But, you know, no, 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 there's no free will. You know, brush your hands off. Well, that, that case is closed. There's no free will. Nothing to see here. Moving right along. All um, <laughs> right. So his point is that's probably a little bit premature <laughs> uh-huh. in terms of in terms of the. So there's a whole, you know, and this is now me talking again. Uh, not this. This is something I was thinking while I was listening to the talk. First of all, my objection to that is there is a difference between well, there's a difference between consciousness and intentionality, isn't there? To go all the way back to Phaser's uh, question, right? I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think it means that I lack free will if the, if I'm not aware necessarily of the moment that I've made a choice. I'm right. not logical connection between, you know, a, a causal necessary connection between those two. I've made the choice. I become aware of it later. You know, I'm, you know, is my intellect or my will primary? I am not sure. Um, I'm a limited being. It could be one or the other. God, they must be, you know, simultaneously co-equal, but that's another story for another podcast. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's so that's one thing. That was an objection I had to to the interpretation that he gave. So, but he, of course, you know, being a neuroscientist and having the ability to uh, do a lot more sophisticated thinking and testing, mm-hmm. is that his his objection was people were just taking. So so once when you do this experiment, here's the practicality, right? You've got this measurement going on. So you're gosh, if you're in the '60s. You've got something that probably looks like, you know, a needle and a pen, you know, flipping back and forth on like a paper roll of tape, right? Right. And even in the 80s or or a contemporary experiment, you've just got the, you know, electronic equivalent of that. So you've got seconds and seconds and minutes and minutes and, you know, half an hour and an hour and whatever of data, depending on how long you ran this experiment. Well, if you... If you put this through your data analysis and you only look, which is what they did, if you only look at, you know, the few seconds around the time that the finger got moved, well, then you only see what I described to you, right? Which is that there's this change in voltage a second before you move the finger. There's this awareness a quarter of a second before you move the finger, and then you move the finger. Yeah, some basic kind of cause and effect kind of thing. Right, right. But what you're not seeing, he pointed out, is you're not seeing the whole background of what the ambient level of this voltage was. And that, you know, this 
you know, so, so he, had, he had two objections, and I'm laying out the first one. The first one is that you tell someone, you tell someone to, you know, to do what, you know, to, to obey these instructions. Here's what I want you to do in this experiment. That person is then, you know, choosing at that point to cooperate with the experiment. That first, you know, and this is more the second argument, you know, that's their choice. So the, that sets up an altered brain state, right? You're not normally going around with your brain in such a state that, you know, I'm going to, I have not assigned to myself the goal of moving my finger at random points. You know, that, that's not an ordinary state of mind. So the right. people in this experiment are already in an altered state of mind. Right. Uh, this readiness potential is, you know, you're, you're existing under a weak imperative to move. And then, yeah. And so this gets to the second quest part of the objection. Yeah. Um, the choice was made at the beginning of the experiment. That's my, that's my choice of will is that I'm going to cooperate with this experiment. That's my actual choice. That's what deserves, I think, is the language that he used, and I agree with him. <laughs> That's what actually deserves the name um, free choice. And then this whole, like, well, at some random point, and it doesn't really matter when, I'm going to move my finger. Yeah, there's a random drift of neuron voltages, and at some point, you know, inside your, inside your head, there is this idea, eh, maybe this is the right time. You know, it doesn't really matter, so, okay. You know, and you're, and if your soul is playing any role, you know, if an immaterial soul is playing any role in this or not, it's uh, just, you know, I, I picture the immaterial soul sort of sitting there and it's, you know, in its uh, beach chair with its glass of lemonade, you know, like looking over at the body, like, oh, you can eat now, yeah, sure, go ahead, move now. Um, doesn't really matter one way or the other. You know, it's not like there's, it's not like there's a tremendous moral content to this, right? Um, right. Maybe. You're, you're neurotic enough, I'm neurotic enough probably to, to read excessive moral content into this experiment if I was performing it, but the normal normal human being probably wouldn't, you know, probably wouldn't stress about it too much. Um, and and that, so, this, so this, there, there's a whole layer of interpretation there. I mean, it's really kind of boils down to a classic example of people seeing what they want to see. Yes. Yes. Fascinating. Fascinating. And so the implication there is uh, that if our soul is really uh, on vacation uh, there, I love that image. I'm gonna I'm gonna be pondering that for a while. <laughs> uh, Sorry, Bill. <laughs> if our soul is is on on vacation, then uh, that's that's not a good uh, factor in uh, any sense of human responsibility. Or accountability, right? Or, right. Or, right. Probably a shade yeah. overstated. Yes. And like, what, what was Mark Twain's words? The, wor the the news of my death has been somewhat exaggerated. Right. Right. Fascinating. Yeah. And the news of my soul's vacation, hopefully, has been greatly exaggerated. But I'll have to. That that's your further study. That, 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 fascinating people. Fascinating subjects uh, from this. Uh, a conference that you attended, the Society of Catholic uh, Scientists. Why don't we uh, end our conversation for today about these uh, great speakers, and we'll continue uh, in our next podcast. And I thank you for first having attended these and put so much thought into the uh, assessment of them and then for sharing 
all of this with us. Uh, uh, thanks very much, Paul. Uh, we'll we'll talk again soon. Yeah, it was a neat experience. I was had, glad to have the chance to have this conversation. Likewise. Thank yeah. you. All right. And we'll talk again soon. Thanks to our listeners. Take care.